Hello and welcome back to EU History Explained. In this series we try to make sense of today's European Union by looking at its history. In the last episode we spoke about the general convergence of American and Western European strategic interests in the early years of the Cold War, which led to continued US involvement in Europe and its vocal support for European integration. In this episode we're going to look at a different phase, marked by increasing competition between the US and the European Economic Community during the 1970s and early 1980s, which starts during Richard Nixon's administration and culminates under Jimmy Carter's presidency and Ronald Reagan's first term in office. The second phase sees a gradual emancipation of Europe from the US and increasing questioning of US leadership by the Europeans. During the Nixon administration we see a substantial reappraisal of US policy towards European integration, with the US becoming more and more ambivalent about the goal of an integrated Europe. The relative decline in US power in relation to Western Europe and the perception of a less acute Soviet threat during the detente years are coupled with the realization that the two sides of the Atlantic don't necessarily share fundamental interests and that an integrated and stronger Europe might pursue policies that are not in line with US interests. This is particularly clear in the economic realm. Indeed, with balance of payments and federal budget deficits, it becomes increasingly clear to the US that the European community is an economic competitor. Interestingly, this phase of cooler transatlantic relations sees a similar outcome to that produced by the US earlier support for European integration. Western European governments begin to cooperate more closely, for instance through the launch of monetary integration projects. In this case, however, integration happens not so much because of US encouragement, but rather in reaction to US policy. But also in the political sphere, the US and Western Europe have very different views about the ongoing easing of East-West tensions. The US is suspicious of European-led detente initiatives such as the German Chancellor's Ostpolitik because it fears they might take place at the expense of Western Europe's loyalty to NATO. But Western Europeans are equally suspicious of the broader US-USSR detente, fearing that it might result in the superpowers' bipartite condominium over Europe. During these years, the US Congress also starts becoming more and more skeptical about the US continuing involvement in Europe, with increasing calls for a reduction of US troops on the European continent. The result of this reappraisal is that the US is still generally supportive of European integration, but is less willing to take an active role in pushing for it. In addition, the US is no longer advocating supranational forms of integration, realizing that in the new balance of power, a confederated rather than a fully integrated Europe would enable the US to have a greater influence on the different national centers of power. 
This change of stance sees the US continuing to maintain its security guarantee for Europe, but now becoming more active in pushing the Europeans toward assuming a fair share of the defense burden. The late 1970s Carter administration is marked by a more positive attitude towards European integration than his predecessors. There are few trade disputes and the overall climate is improved not only by further GATT negotiations, but also a relative slowing down in European integration initiatives. European governments are still very much in favour of a continued US military role in Europe, but they become more intolerant towards American interference. Relations will deteriorate in the last years of Carter's term, notably because of divergences over the detente process and armament issues. Europeans, and especially West Germans, want to continue reaping the fruits of detente, albeit now against a backdrop of much tenser US-USSR relations. When European integration enters a new era following the signature of the Single European Act, the Reagan administration maintains its traditional pro-integrationist rhetoric, although initially it is dubious about this initiative's chances of success. When the treaty is eventually ratified, the US starts warning against the dangers of protectionism, and trade disputes proliferate. During this period, the US generally views with suspicion the possibility of a stronger and more integrated Europe. Similarly, when in 1984 France proposes a plan to revitalize the Western European Union, despite supportive rhetoric from the US, there is underlying concern that this initiative could undermine the supremacy of NATO. The end of the Cold War opens up a number of crucial questions for the US and the Europeans, first and foremost with regard to Germany's reunification. The US has a favourable stance, but makes it clear that a unified Germany should be firmly integrated within NATO. Some European member states voice their disquiet about the prospect of reunification, but nevertheless can't come up with any real alternatives. Once again, European integration seems to offer a solution. Germany's firm entrenchment in an integrated Europe that is solidly attached to the Atlantic framework will ensure Europe's continued stability. A more integrated Europe is also valuable in terms of the US desire for a fairer sharing of the defense burden. If the US is to gradually disengage from Europe, then Europeans must take greater responsibility for their own security. This is why the US strongly supports the process leading to the Maastricht Treaty and the creation of the European Union, with the caveat that any future common foreign and security policy will have to be reconciled with NATO's prerogatives. Thank you for watching and don't forget to like, comment and subscribe to our channel. And stay tuned for the next episode of EU History Explained. This podcast is co-funded by the European Union. 
The European Commission support for the production of this podcast does not constitute an endorsement of the contents which reflects the views only of the authors and the Commission cannot be held responsible for any use which may be made of the information contained therein.